shows you a handout in your bulletin, and we will be reading um, part of it today. So anyway, you may want to have that with you. We're going to be studying today um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'll read the text and I'll open us in prayer. Before I do that, though, I would like to uh, announce something to you and mention something that we didn't mention in the prayer and we didn't mention in the announcements, but um, I thought it might just be best to do it now. Um, and many of you know that there was a terrible earthquake in uh, Morocco uh, several weeks ago in which thousands of people died and many, many, many people are made homeless and many people lost their entire families. Uh, John and Becca know of people who lost 10 children. Uh, and uh, that would be like me and Jan losing everybody. Um, Becca and John are there in Marrakesh now. Uh, they've been asked to go there uh, because Becca's a counselor to do grief counseling and uh, post-traumatic stress counseling with uh, people in Marrakesh. So they are there now. Please pray for them. Also, many people there are living completely homeless. Their, sh their homes are completely gone. There's no food. There's no uh, housing. There's nothing. And so John and Becca have a missionary friend there who is purchasing tents, he's purchasing blankets, he's purchasing shoes, he's purchasing water and food supplies, and they're getting them there. If you would like to be a part of that, 100% of every penny that you give will go to buy tents and shoes and clothing. You can, uh, don't, you can get that money to us here at the church, tell us what it's for, and we will make sure that John and Becca get it, and then they are basically using it to buy the supplies and then this fellow is taking them there. So I know that this is off the news cycle and as soon as something gets off the news cycle, people think it's over, it's not over, it's not over at all. And so if you would like to help, uh, help uh, a needy family, and we're doing this, they're doing this out of just sheer love for needy, homeless, hurting, scared people. They're doing this for fellow human beings. Nevertheless, there's a powerful thing that's happening here because the Christian community in that primarily Muslim country is being so focused and so caring that it's having a huge impact for the gospel. And so your support, our support to them is not only going to buy a tent to house a fellow human being, it's also going to come in the name of Christ. And so um, just to let you know that, that that is available to you, please continue to pray uh, for that situation there. Let's hear Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, fathers, we come and we seek to actually analyze a prayer we pray for ourselves, Father, and we ask that you would please be with us. And we need what this very prayer asks. We need your grace. We need your strength. We need power from you to even be able to comprehend what is this prayer, let alone to pray it and to understand and learn and experience its realities. So, Father, please be with us. This is a very, very difficult text. It is a very text that is difficult because it is so profound and so deep and so glorious. 
and I feel so inadequate right now. Father, please, we pray, come and send your Holy Spirit as our teacher. Bless and be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. I distinctly remember as a young uh, pastor sitting under uh, in a conference listening to uh, my mentor and the man who's had the most impact upon my life as both a pastor and preacher, Albert Martin, and he stood in, he was in his 50s, I was in my 30s, and he stood up and he said, I am not equipped, and he's the best, pre one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life, even to this day, he is, he, you know, I, he remains that in my life. He said, I am not, in a question and answer session, I am not prepared to preach the book of Ephesians because I do not feel that I have grasped the prayer in chapter 3. So here we are. So, okay. I'm 67, but still, I feel the exact same way he did. I wanted to read two words. I, I, I've been listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on Ephesians, and um, as I was listening, he read the passage that I just read before you in that beautiful Welsh accent in 1955. He read it to his congregation, and then he said these words. After he read it, there was a pause, and then I, I, I almost played this. I've never done this, but I almost played this for you, because just a, but I'll read it. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, however long you may live in this world, whatever orator may arise, you will never hear anything equal to that for eloquence, for elevation of thought, for profundity of language, and for conception. It is undoubtedly one of the great mountain peaks in the scripture. Indeed, there are many who would say that this is the highest peak of all in the entire glorious range of scriptural truth and divine revelation. How's that for an introduction to a paragraph in the word of God? And he's true. Lloyd-Jones talks about mountain climbing. He, he uses an illustration of mountain climbing, and, he, and it's like climbing Everest. He talks about how as, as you climb Everest, the higher you get, it's such a rarefied air up there that you have to bring your own oxygen with you. And it's so hard. Each step is so hard, but it's so glorious because as you get the more and more you get up there, you're at the highest peak that can ever be uh, on, in the entire planet Earth, and there you see that. And this is the Mount Everest. This is the Mount Everest in, in, in all of scripture, Lloyd-Jones is saying, and many have agreed with him. And think about this passage. I mean, just look at it. It is. What, what are we supposed to make of, of this? Look at verse 19. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. What does it mean to know something that passes knowledge? Or what about the second half of verse 19? By the way, we're not even going to get to verse 19 today. This thing is so rich. Until that, but notice he says that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. What, what is that? How can we even grasp that? And so that's what we're going to be looking at as we begin uh, this section, uh, which is this prayer of Paul. Now, Paul has, um, he begins by saying this in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is obviously a sacred moment. And Paul is now praying this, this, this prayer. And he's praying this prayer to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, he says this. From whom the whole family in heaven and on earth and, and earth is named. Now, some of your Bibles say from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, and that is actually not a very good translation. This in the New King James is the better translation because he's not talking about every family. He's talking about one family. He's talking about the whole family. And, and who is that whole family? Well, he's already introduced this, and the reason why sometimes people don't quite make this connection is because of this great digression that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Because you remember... Paul started this prayer in Ephesians 3, 1, where he says, for this reason I, Paul, he started this prayer, and then he got diverted and talking about the mystery and all that we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So then in verse 14, he comes back and he says, for this reason, he, he, you know, he, he, I, 
And instead of saying, Paul the prisoner and getting diverted, he says, I, Paul, bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family. So if the prayer would have come right in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, we would have immediately understood who this family is because Paul introduced it at the end of chapter 2. Okay, in the end of chapter 2, he says, for instance, in verse 15, he talked about the one new man that has been created in Christ Jesus, the one new humanity. And then in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he says this, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So here's this idea of, our, of this one body, this one new man in Christ, Jew and Gentile having access. Then in verse 19, he tells us at the end of that verse that we are members of the household of God. There is that family God's household. And then he talks about how God is building the church. The church is also a temple that is being built. And notice at the end of verse 22, as a dwelling place of this God in the spirit. So you have this one new humanity, this, this household of God, this dwelling place of God in the spirit. And that's this family, this whole family in heaven and on earth. The saints that have gone on before us, the saints that are on earth, this one family. And so that's what Paul means in verse 15. And then, and, uh, and then he gets, and that's how he begins the prayer. Now, let me pause right here for a second just to throw out a brief word of, of admonition to all of us and encouragement. The Apostle Paul is teaching us something here. He's teaching us to pray, to turn to prayer. And if I could use the phrase that sometimes people use, to pray something in, to pray something in. See, Paul, this is the second prayer in the book of Ephesians. And Paul prays, Paul teaches these wonderful, great truths of God, and then he goes to prayer. And then Paul teaches another section of truth of God, and then he goes to prayer. And let me encourage us to take this apostolic model into our own lives. Let me first of all speak to those of you here who are my fellow elders, to speak those, to those of you here who are teachers and preachers, to those of you here who are Bible study leaders here. Labor, labor in preparing, labor in preaching, labor in teaching, but also recognize that you need to do what the apostle is doing. We need to do what he's doing. Labor to pray it in to the people that you're teaching. Be like Epaphras was in Colossians 4.12. Epaphras should be a role model for us, one of Paul's colleagues. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. And I want to urge all of you who have ministries here, Sunday school teachers, elders, preachers, labor to pray this in, that, that whatever you teach, you need to then leave and pray it in, pray it in, that people would get it. And then I would encourage all of us as believers here, if God opens up his word and gives you the truth, either in the preached word or in your own devotions, please take those things and get into your own quiet prayer life, prayer closet, and pray them into your life. Pray them in. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's saying, I just taught you some amazing stuff. Now I'm telling you what I do is I bow my knee before the Father and I say, oh, Father, open their eyes. Give them, give them that they might grasp these things. And that's what the prayer is. That's what the prayer is. Let's look at this prayer now. He's going to begin. And this prayer is actually what, what, what uh, John Stott calls, it's like steps, and it is. This prayer is like steps. It goes higher and higher and higher. But it's also interrelated. Like each step sort of, the next step builds on that step. And so be, be conscious of that as we, as we go through this prayer. And so here's the prayer. Look at verse 16. That he, the God and fa the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory. So it's simply a prayer that God would give us something. That's what it is. It's a prayer that God would give us something. But notice, notice the next phrase. Kids, are you following along your Bibles? Kids, look in your Bibles. Notice that next phrase right there. By the way, kids, follow along your Bibles. Uh, if you follow along your Bibles, you, you've just added two more dimensions to, 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 le to learning. You're seeing, you're listening, you're seeing, and you're hearing, but you're also seeing with your eyes, and that's why following along your Bible is so important. But if kids, if you notice here, notice what it says here. He says that God would give you something, and then he says this, according to the riches 
of his glory. Because I like to look at this like this. I like to think of God, a God standing there, and he's got all these, all these jewels and diamonds and gold and, and, and money and all this, all of his riches were out there. And I come to God and I say, hey, God, please help me. I need a dollar so I can buy a candy bar. And God goes, okay. And he reaches down like this with his big God hand. And he grabs all of, just out of his, just, there's all these, all of his riches. He just grabs this big God and he says, here, bow, there's $7 billion. And you just became the richest man in the world. Why? Because for God, it's just like nothing. Because he's so rich. And that's what Paul is saying here. That Paul, that God would grant you this request, that God would grant you this request by reaching into his treasure chest of riches and pouring it out upon you. And this is a common phrase of Paul. He uses this often. This is how he thinks of God answering prayer. In, in, in Philippians 4.19, Paul says this, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God's going to take care of all your needs by just simply going down there and making you a billionaire instantly like that. By just blessing you and blessing you and pouring out his blessing upon you. In Colossians 1, 26 and 27, there's two, these two verses tie together very well with what we've been looking at in Ephesians. Paul says this, the mystery, now that's what we've been studying for the last several weeks here, the mystery that God has revealed now. The mystery has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God will to make it known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is kind of the same idea. Among the Gentiles, now notice the next phrase, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, now remember that because that's where, that's where Paul's prayer in Ephesians is going as well. So look at the prayer then. I love what, uh, he, that God would grant you according to his riches and glory. One commentator wrote, he gives lavishly as only he can give. So what's the prayer? Well, here's the first request, the first step. To be strengthened with might. To be strengthened with might. God is praying, Paul is praying that God would dip into his riches and, and give us strength. And the, the word here, strength, means the ability and the power to do something. The ability and the power to do something. That God would give us enablement. That God would give us the, that, that, sort of, that sort of energy and power and ability to do something. But then notice he adds another phrase. He adds another phrase. He says that he might strengthen, that to be strengthened with might. Strengthened with might. Kids, again, listen, I want to keep your attention. Listen, this is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. Does that sound like any English word that you know? Mm -mm. I'll give you a hint. Dynamite. Dynamite comes. You guys, do you know what dynamite is? Okay. We knew it from a cartoon, Wile E. Coyote and the, and the Roadrunner. That's how we knew dynamite mostly. But, yeah, it's like a huge stick of dynamite. It's like this huge firecracker, but it's really big. And it'll, so imagine you're, you're trying to push this big rock. You're trying to get this big rock out of the way because you're, you're planting a garden or something. It's a big rock, and you're, you're pushing with all of your strength, and you don't have strength. And somebody says, here, let me help you. He says, what? He says, watch. Step back. And you run, run. He shoves it under the rock. You all run away, and the dynamite goes, and the rock just rolls, rolls, rolls about 100 feet. That's the word that Paul is using here. He's praying that God will give these Ephesians strength, power, might to do something. Now, notice that the phrase, because each phrase, when Paul writes each of these, because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is the word of God, is, is important, through his spirit. I'm praying that God will give you power out of his riches, might, through his spirit. Then notice the next part, in the inner man. This is a prayer that something of God's power and might, that God's strength will happen in the inner man, inside us, in us. In our own hearts, in our own, in our own will, in our own personality, in our own mind. 
deep inside us. And Paul uses this inner man as opposed to outer man terminology. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul says this, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, that's our physical body is perishing, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. So this is the idea of this inner man being renewed. So that's the first request. The first request and this comes very clear if you look at it in the way Paul originally wrote it. And I don't want to go into infinitives and how this all works. But, but the, it, it's very structured. But let me kind of sort of make it very wooden, but, but, an illust but it might help you to understand the actual prayer. Paul prays this. I pray that God might give you out of his riches with all of his strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that he might give you to be strengthened in order that you would be strengthened. I pray in order that you would be strengthened, and then he takes the next step. And it doesn't come across in English quite as clear as this, but I'll put it like this. Chapter, verse 17 would be, again, like this. In order that, because it's two in order that phrases. In order that you would be strengthened, and then that builds to the next step. In order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, then you see a semicolon if you have the New King James. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Because that's the second step of the prayer. And we're going to stop right there for today. That's, we're not going to go any further in the prayer. This is where we're going to stop. Because quite frankly, believe me, this is more than enough. Now, notice what he says here. I am praying for you, Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, that immediately causes questions to rise for the, for the reader. I'm sure that that immediately, and the question that should arise at this point for you uh, is this. How, how can he pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith? Aren't they already Christians? Isn't Christ already living in their hearts? And the answer is, yes, they are already Christians. We know that. Look at chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul says this, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of power. They're obviously Christians. Look at chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of God it works, it is, it, is, it is of God. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19. Paul says, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints with the saints and members of the house of God. These people are, he's telling saved people that he prays that God would strengthen them with dynamite in order that they might and that and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, the answer to that lies in the word that Paul actually uses here for dwell, okay? It's the word that Paul uses here for dwell. And we've already done a little bit of this homework earlier, but I'll remind you of it. The Greek word for a house or a home is oikos, oikos, okay? And then in, in the Greek language, it's so rich that you keep, when you add prefixes to it, it, it changes nuances, gives it nuance and everything. And we've already studied a word that was paraoikos, paraoikos. And para means beside, beside. And it's somebody who lives beside you. And the word, though, what it meant in their language, when, when somebody was paraoikos, they were like a refugee, or they were a foreigner who's come to visit, or they set up a tent over there, and they're living over there, and we're over here. And, and, and the word paraoikos is actually translated in chapter 2 and verse 19 as foreigner, foreigner, paraoikos. This is a different, this is part of that family, but it's a different word. It's kataoikos, kataoikos. And kata actually intensifies things. Kata means according to or down onto or something like that. And this word means, kataoikos, that Paul uses, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. This word means a permanent dwelling. It means to settle in. It means to, if you could put it this way, paraoikos is those guys, those refugees who came from who knows where, and they set up a tent over there in the refugee camp. Kataoikos is when you dig a foundation, pour a foundation, build a solid foundation on those footers, build a house, move in, paint it, hang your pictures up, 
Put your dresser over here. Hang your clothes in the closet. Put your shoes in the closet. Put your bed here. Move your dishes in the kitchen. Put your furniture in here. Put your welcome mat out here. Put, uh, it's to move in and to plan to stay, to plant yourself, and then to live there. Experience that place. Make that place your home. You're familiar with it. It's familiar with you. That's the word that's being used here. He is praying that Christ would live, dwell, move in, make his presence felt in their lives. Now, notice how the prayer goes on. That he, you may dwell in your hearts. Now, that's parallel to the inner man, being strengthened in the inner man. That he would dwell in your hearts by faith, through faith. He wants them to dwell in your heart by faith. Now, I want you to notice something right away in this passage because it's true in so much of, of the Bible and so much of Paul's teaching. Notice, first of all, how Trinitarian this passage is. You have God the Father, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, granting that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are very active. Now, notice here that Paul's prayer is that Christ would katoikos, that Christ would dwell and live and reside and be at home in, and his presence would be there and felt in your heart in a unique and powerful way. Now, that's what Paul's prayer is, that the whole inner man, the whole heart, the whole personality, the whole will, the whole inner man would be, would be indwelt by Christ, okay? So he's talking about Christ in us. Christ in us. Now, we use this phrase uh, in evangelicalism over the last several years. Uh, uh, Billy Graham, big on this, helped it made this a big thing. Evangelicals really focused a lot on Jesus in me, Jesus in me, Jesus in me. But we actually had quite an, a biblical imbalance in that because the primary emphasis in Scripture isn't Jesus in me. It's me and Jesus. It's me incorporated. It's me in union with Christ. It's me incorporated into Christ. That's the prime, in fact, that's been Paul's emphasis all the way up to this point. But now there is a reality of this idea of Christ living in me. And we're going to focus on that now. So for instance, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but notice here it is, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 and 10, which is a very, another hugely trinitarian passage, it says the same thing. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now notice, that's not, that's you are in the spirit. But in, if indeed the spirit of Christ dwells in you. So notice, you are in the spirit and the spirit is in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now notice verse, 19, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, because the spirit of Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so this idea is that as the spirit, Christ is in me because the spirit of Christ is in me, Christ dwells within me. And so that is what Paul is praying. So let's go back and look at the prayer. He says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ, in order that, strengthened in order that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's take a step back, take a breath. What is Paul actually praying for here? What is this actually saying? And let me suggest to you that what this is saying is that Paul wants us to experience the indwelling Christ in an ever-deepening way. I believe this is what Paul is getting at here. Paul wants us to experience the indwelling Christ in an ever-deepening way. And we need strength from God to be able to understand and even to experience that. And we're going to see that in weeks ahead. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, this is really hard to describe. This is why Pastor Martin said that this was so difficult. That's why Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd goes on in his preaching. He says, this is like 
this is not something that you can analyze and systematize and organize and logically preach out, preach out. And he says, this is why this is so hard. He says, it's more like describing an aroma. Describing an aroma, like the smell of roses or the smell of something very sweet. It's, how do you describe that? He says, this is like trying to describe love. What, how, do you, how do you describe love? I, I, I almost find myself falling back on Spurgeon's kind of funny and tongue-in-cheek thing where he would often say, this truth is better felt than telt. And, and that's true here. What Paul is praying is that we would experience the indwelling Christ in an ever-deepening way, a powerful, deepening way, that Christ will dwell in me, in me, and in you, in power, that we will experience the reality of Christ, that we will know Christ's dwelling in there. Think about this. Think of what would happen if a great person, a really great person, were to come in and indwell your house, that that great person would come to live in your house. Let's just make it real, real simple here. And, and, and I loved how Jeff did his call to worship. Jeff, that was a wonderful call to worship. Jeff put Jesus on the stage here. What if Jesus moved in your house and lived with you? And ate every meal with you. And was in the living room with you. And, and you talked. And, and, and helped cut up salad with you. And had morning coffee with you. And, you. and people came to visit him. And you listened as he was interacting with them. And you came home from work frustrated or tired or or fearful, you come back from the doctor and you're fearful and, and he comforted you. Or maybe it wasn't you, he comforted somebody else. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing, first of all, and wouldn't it, wouldn't it deepen your relationship with him? Deepen your, I, I hope I'm doing a good job here. I don't know how to say this, but it would be amazing. And what this passage is saying is, is that Paul is praying that in a powerful way, the Ephesians would experience Christ in them, dwelling in their inner man. There would be a reality about Jesus there. There, there would be a living, transforming relationship, something that would be deeply satisfying and mind-blowing, and, and heart-expanding. That's what Paul is praying. Now, let's see some of this in Scripture. Turn with me to John 14. Turn with me to John 14. In John 14, and, and I, I just, for sake of all transparency, I have to tell you that, that we should be paying Martin Lloyd-Jones for this sermon. We should be, you know, this, this I so am in debt with of Lloyd-Jones and others that I've listened to that this ain't me, this is, this is them helping. But, but I want you to, to look at this passage. In John 14, verse 19, Jesus says this. This is the Last Supper. He's there with his disciples. And he says this. A little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Now think about that. Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise from dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. The world's not going to see him anymore. But he says to his disciples, you will see me. You will see me. You will experience me. You'll see. I'll be real to you. Verse 20. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me, union with Christ. And look at the next one. And I. In you, kata oikos. He who, has command, his, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, now check this out, and manifest myself to him. 
I pray, Father, that you would give them out of the riches of your glory strength that Christ may katoikos dwell in their heart, inner man, in their hearts. Here's the exact same thing. I will manifest myself to them. I will make myself known. I will make myself clear. It will be like you're living with me. It will be like you're watching me and experiencing me and talking to me and relating to me. And I will be real and clear and clear. And you'll get a clearer vision. You'll get a clearer understanding. You'll know me. The world won't see me. You'll see me. The world won't know me. You'll know me. You will have this incredible pleasure, this incredible privilege of having me dwelling in you, me in you, me manifesting myself to you. Well, Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22 says, said to them, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Now check this out. It's almost too, too, too amazing to even understand. We will come to him and make our home with him or in him. It's interesting because that's the word monon, which is only used one other time in scripture. And we've and it's actually in this chapter. In chapter 14 and verse 2, it says, In my father's house are many monons, many mansions, many homes, many dwelling places. But here, here, the father and the son are dwelling and making their home with the believer with the one who loves Jesus, with the one who keeps his word. He comes and manifests and dwells and lives and keeps his resident in here. This is an inner dynamic. This is an inner reality. And we've seen this in other places in a verse that, that, that might be familiar to many of you and it's used in evangelism, but in the context that isn't evangelistic, it's something else. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus is talking to the uh, lukewarm Laodicean church and he's pleading with them and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you open the door of your heart and you open the door, I will come in and I will dine with you and I will live with you and I will dwell in you. Paul puts it in a different way in Romans 13, 14 when he says this, which is an amazing passage. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is that inner dynamic. There's a, Paul is praying that we would have a power, we would have an experience, we would have a dynamic that, that is so powerful that Christ will be real to us. Christ will be living with us. Christ will be there. I wanted to use Lloyd-Jones' words, and so I put it in this handout, and I, 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 I gave you a lot more. Please go back and read it. But I'm just going to begin right, at, right above that 148 there where it says, I cannot do anything better at this point than to quote a little verse which Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, used to pray for himself every day of his life. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. More present to faith's vision keen than any outward object seen. More dear, more intimately nigh than even the sweetest earthly tie. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, that is what the apostle was praying on behalf of the Ephesians. He seems to say, I know that you are Christians. I know that there is a sense in which Christ is in you. For you cannot be Christians without being united with him as your head. I know that you are in him and that he is in you. But beyond that, do you know him? Is Christ himself at the center of your life? Is he actually real to you and known to you? Or is he someone who is vaguely in the distance? Someone whom you approach only in terms of belief? Has he really manifested himself to you? And this is what Lloyd-Jones is trying to get at. And this is what Paul is praying in the Ephesians passage. He is praying, I'm praying that God would help you, that, God, that, that Christ would be everything to you, that Christ would be real to you, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ dwelling in you, that you would experience and know his presence, know his inner dwelling, know his presence with you, that there would be an intimacy and a reality and a closeness and a friendship 
Jesus is a person, not Jesus is a doctrine. Jesus is a person, not Jesus is a mere belief. Jesus is a person, and heaven forbid, not Jesus is a political reality. Jesus is a person, a real, living, dynamic, glorious, amazing person, becomes more real to you, dwells and lives and takes up residence and is there, and you grow in familiarity, you grow in closeness, you grow in the reality of him. Now, please be careful at this point. Please be careful and please be very wise, okay? And I'm going to ask you to be wise from the right and from the left. When I use the word here, experiential, I truly mean experiential. Experiential, and I even like the old Puritan word better, experimental. Experimental is when you got your hands dirty, you put the, you put the apron on in chemistry class, and you started, and you almost burned the school down because you, but you, you experienced, you, you, it was real to you. you, you did it. That's what lab work was all about. That's what experiential was. Be careful here, though, please be careful. I'm talking about something that's experiential, not exclusively emotional. And we want to be careful here because there's a great danger today. And this is, the, this is one of the things that's fueling, I believe, the megachurch movement that hopefully is dying. I think it's dying. I hope it's dying. But, but it's this idea where people are not seeking Christ. They're seeking feelings. They're seeking emotions. They're seeking that to be changed. This, I believe, has been the great weakness. And I'm going to speak... I'm going to speak carefully here and lovingly here. This, I believe, has been the great weakness of our charismatic and Pentecostal brethren. And I love them. They're our brethren, and, and, and we can learn much from them. But this, I think, has been their primary weakness, is that their focus has been on emotions and responses. In their, their services themselves are oriented to get people to have an emotional experience. And I think that that's very, very wrong. That's very, very unhealthy. Because what that does, and this is what I have seen, and I'm being very general here, so please understand that. Be wise here. We have very dear, I have very dear charismatic and Pentecostal brethren. Very dear. And some of them are very godly. I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is generally that focus on emotion and feelings, that focus leaves people strangely, strangely, after the, the music has stopped, after the, the, the emotions, are, uh, uh, that service is over, strangely, they, they strangely lack a hunger to go deeper, to know Christ more for systematic theology of the Bible and its Bible teaching. There's, there's a strange lack in that, a strange lack of depth in their preaching, a strange lack of talking about, about Christ, of deeply knowing him. This is what I've experienced. And what I've really experienced, too, is that folks in churches that just focus on that, that aspect of it, their people are not growing as they ought to be growing. And you see them when they undergo trials. I've had charismatic and Pentecostal friends who just crumble when trials come. I'm like, where is your faith? There's an immaturity. There's a lack of holiness. There's a preoccupation and with, 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 with just feelings and emotion. And sometimes, sometimes the questions that I, I get asked as a pastor is, well, tell us first and foremost about your music ministry. That's what builds the church. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? That is not. And so, dear friends, what I want to urge you, as we're going into an experiential passage of Scripture, an experience of pastor, a, 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 a Scripture, this is not saying seek experiences. This is not saying seek emotions. This is saying seek Christ. Seek Christ. Seek to experience Christ. And let me tell you, dear friends, the emotions will come. In fact, you'll be what C.S. Lewis described as surprised by joy. Joy Love for Christ will come. He will become precious to you. But more than that, if you seek Christ and not emotions, you seek Christ that he would dwell in the inner man. You seek Christ, a hunger will come. A hunger to know him more. A hunger to be near him. A hunger to grow to understand him more. You'll have a hunger that will drive you to your Bibles. It will drive you to anyone who can teach and preach the Bible well. Because you want to know Jesus more. It'll, it'll drive you to a hatred for sin. It will drive you to be appalled that you would have such a close association and intimacy with Jesus. And then you would turn to sin. You, we're going to get into that in detail. It will work and move in your life. It will drive and change your will. You'll want to love him and serve him more and know him more and glorify him more and obey him more and long to be with him more and you'll be able to face anything more because of him. Seek Christ. Seek Christ. And the emotions will come. On the other hand, let me warn you about this. This is truly experiential. 
You can't experience Christ without it changing you, transforming you, wowing you, exciting you, animating you. You can't. And I believe, and I want to give warning on the other side. If this side goes after emotions, this side becomes preoccupied with doctrine. I love doctrine. We have been preaching doctrine. You can't preach Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and study without being immersed in doctrine. Theological doctrine is beautiful and glorious. But dear friends, there is a branch of our brothers and sisters in Christ who become so preoccupied with doctrine, so preoccupied and so concerned about being sound, and we're very concerned about being sound here, very concerned about the truth, and they even disdain emotionalism, that their faith becomes strangely clinical, strangely emotionally neutered. I've been in I've been in in churches. The pastor gets up and he speaks very formally because he does not want to be emotional like them people over there. <laughs> and let us, dear brethren, talk about the justification that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Now I'm going to preach on it. Let us go home. I'm like, dude, we should be dancing home if you'd have preached that, right? It's justification by and. People become almost clinically neutered. It's like, what, what, what are you talking about here? And then they become judgmental. They know more doctrine than others do. They certainly more, know more doctrine than those charismatic people who are jumping up around dancing. And they become proud. Sometimes even the way people talk about the Lord, Je the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be biblical, we need to be, blah, 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 blah. And never talk about Jesus with a warmth and a passion and, 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 and a sense that a personalness. That's why I listen to some preachers. One of them, you know, some of them are dead now. Two of them are dead. Two of the main three I, read, I listen to are dead. I still listen to them, their, their messages, because these are men who have experienced Christ. And when they preach and even when they pray, there's a sense that they have been with Jesus and their tone and their, their handling of the scripture and, and their life that is pulsating through them is Jesus, the glorious Lord God Almighty Jesus, the very Son of God who died for them. This to me is who the Apostle Paul is. The Apostle Paul can out-theologize anybody, out-systematic theologize anybody. He can out-preach, out-teach in that sense anybody. And yet he has a passion and a love and a glory. And he is now bowing with his knees before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And asking that he would grant to his dear family grace and strength out of his riches. That oh dear Father that they would experience the indwelling Christ. The katoikos. Jesus living in their inner man. That they would be able to say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I will go and be with him. I love him. The son of God. Die for me. I can't get over it. I lie in bed at night. And Jesus is with me. Dwelling in my inner mind. I face my greatest fears. And Jesus is here. In all of his strength, in all of his power, in all of his glory, and his might. I fall in sin. And the indwelling Christ picks me up and forgives me and cares for me and loves me. This is not mere doctrine. And this is not mere. Now y'all just lift your hands and dance and let's sing and let's have a good time in the Lord. This is not that. This is a deep, deep, personal indwelling of Christ in my heart. Oh, dear ones, I don't know where to go from here. Paul wants our roots to go deep in Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted. 
built up in him and established in the faith that you might be taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. Dear friends, here's my application. Here's my heart. Please go home. Let us go back to our lives. Let us go back to prayer. And let us seek Christ indwelling presence in our lives. This is a prayer. Pray it. Lord, give me this. What we heard preaching, I want to know you like this. I want to grow in you. I want my roots to go deep in you. I want to be near you. I want to feel and know your nearness to me. I want to know that all of the promises are true and amen. I want you. I want you. Please, please, oh, dear God, give me the power of the Holy Spirit. Strengthen me that I might know Christ dwelling in me. Go home and do that. Christ is knocking. He wants in. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And perhaps for the first time, as Lee, as Lee shared so well for us this morning, perhaps at the first time, it's time for you to say, I'm ready. Lord Jesus, please save me. I want this. Come and live in me. I open my heart to you. I receive you. Save me. And he will. He'll come flooding in. Just like Lee so clearly told us. Like the wind. He'll come flooding in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We are so hungry for you. And we find in you our all in all. Oh Lord. When you give us just a taste of who you are. Oh my. Just as we sang, we turn unfilled from the world back to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, please. Father, give us out of your riches strength, power, in order that Christ may take up residence in our heart by faith. We trust you. We trust you that you want us to pray this prayer and we trust you that you will answer this prayer. Come. We pray. We hunger for you to know you deep. In Jesus' name we pray.